0: You'll have your copy of God's Word. I would love for you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 9, chapter 9. We're going to see a very familiar miracle, if you've read your Bible at all and uh, understand it at all. We're going to see a very familiar miracle this morning. And Mark records this miracle to show the ebb and flow of faith, the ebb and flow of faith in both the disciples and a father of a son. Um, And all the miracles in the Bible and in life start with trusting Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about. They actively trust Jesus in everything. Everything. Nothing is off limits from him. And so I want you to see the challenge that Jesus presents the people in this story. Follow along as I read Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through 29. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, What are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to them, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out. Come out of him and never enter him again. Then he came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. After he'd gone to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer let's pray father we like this story we like the the compassion and we also like the challenges it presents us we we have questions why the disciples couldn't and how the father didn't have faith but then had faith we we love those ironies that are in this story and pray god this morning that you'll teach us in our own souls this morning about how we should trust you more in jesus name i pray amen I don't know if you've ever heard the term atrophy. Atrophy happens when you don't use something very much. Muscles mostly. Your, your doctor will tell you if you're not using certain muscles, they will atrophy. Well, trust and faith does the same thing. Trusting Jesus, really depending on Jesus, takes regular effort and very intentional effort. And you see it in the story here. So after revealing the glory of Christ on the mountain of transfiguration, which was last week's passage, they come down the mountain, Jesus and his three compatriots, and they they come and they begin to uncover, Jesus begins to uncover the lack of faith of the disciples, the crowd, and the Father. He's uncovering this. and, And faith in Jesus must be an active part of our lifestyle, always. It must be something we're constantly going to and trusting in. And it must help us in our lifestyle, it must help us in our difficulties, and it must help us in our prayers. And so how did Jesus uncover the lack of trust in this situation? Well, Jesus points to three areas. We're going to talk about this more. Three areas where we should trust in him all the time. And first, Jesus kind of rebukes the lack of trust in our lifestyle, the lack of faith in the way we live our lives. Point number one, trust Jesus in all of your life. Let me read verses 14 through 19 again for you. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring me the boy. Okay, so trust Jesus in all of life. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they come down the mountain, and they find a crowd. They find the other nine disciples arguing with these scribes, the teachers, the Jewish teachers of the, of the Jewish religion, and they're arguing And Jesus asks, why are you arguing? And then we find out what the subject is. A man speaks up, says, I brought you my son. I brought him to your disciples because you weren't here. Thought they could drive out this demon, but they couldn't. And so demon possession was really, I mean, I think it's still around today, but it was really rampant in the first century. And I think it was because Satan knew Jesus was in town and he was trying to do everything he could to mess up Jesus' ministry. And so it was a a kind of a prominent thing. Now, when you read these symptoms in Scripture, and these are actual Greek words that describe these symptoms, it sounds like epilepsy. And some people have made that conclusion. In Matthew, they use the word lunacy or lunatic to kind of describe this. And there's a whole bunch of stuff about moon stuff and phases of the moon. But here's, here's the bottom line. Whatever it is, Jesus can cure it. Whatever it is. He's the one doing the healing. He's the one doing the helping. Whatever life brings to bear on us, Jesus can handle it. No matter what the fallen world drops on us, he's capable. He's very capable to deal with it. So then we find out kind of the real source of the argument here. Not The subject is the boy. The real source of the argument, the real crux is your disciples couldn't drive him out. The disciples could not cast out the demon. Oops. Now, you've been following along with Mark with us. You know that this happened in like Mark 6. Jesus sent the disciples out, and they were able to do this. And we'll talk about why they couldn't a little bit later. But the scribes were arguing with them because they were like, See, I told you. Nobody but Jewish priests should be able to cast out demons. Y'all are doing it all wrong. And they were using it just to discredit Jesus' ministry, regardless of what they'd already seen. (laughs) It's funny how they'll ignore that part. But Jesus... Instead of trying to solve the argument, he just responds with a a sigh, probably, saying, this unbelieving generation. And this points to everyone, including us. Sometimes we're just not believing the right way. Jesus rebukes the disciples. He rebukes the scribes in this passage. He rebukes the crowd, even the boy's father. I want you to see the irony of these situations. Okay, first of all, the disciples had cast out demons, like we said a minute ago, and they couldn't. They had cast out demons and they couldn't. They couldn't because they didn't pray. And we'll talk about that later. The second thing is that the father came bringing his boy to Jesus because he thought Jesus could heal him. And now the the father's kind of doubting. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. The scribes had no faith to begin with. They didn't have any inkling of faith. They refused to believe even what they had seen Jesus do already. They were refusing because they hated Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. They saw him as a threat, and they led the crowd astray. But the crowd saw Jesus when he came down from the mountain, and they were amazed, and they ran to Jesus, but they didn't believe him. <laughs> so there's a lot of irony going on in this story. And then Jesus asked some questions that I know we all want to know what, why he asked them and What's the point of them? Well, I'm going to try to explain that. How long am I going to stay with you? How long do I have to put up with you? You know, when we use those questions, we're probably pretty exasperated. We're pretty fed up with whatever we're asking about. Jesus is never fed up. He's really never fed up. These are not from impatience. He's really asking, how long am I going to tolerate the insincere faith you have? Or the lack of faith? even of his disciples. Now, they're probably the main point of his displeasure here because they should have trusted Jesus enough to be able to cast the demon out. But he's really asking about their doubt. Why are you still doubting? He's asked that before. Why are you still refusing to fully trust what I have told you? He knows why, because they haven't quite got it yet. But he calls the boy over anyway. Bring me the boy. Even with all this doubt around him, Jesus says, Bring me the boy. We're going to do something about this. And so he gives them another chance. They tried to cast out the demon, it didn't work. Everybody's doubting. Everybody's like, "Mm, I don't know if this Jesus thing is real or not. He's going to give them another chance to trust him. Because Jesus is about second chances, he's always about second chances. And he wants us to trust him actively. In every aspect of her life. And, and the story of Richard and Sabina Vermbrand, that's what they believed. Their, their faith started and they kept it. They, they were Jewish, believe it or not, before they became Christians. And they believed in Jesus Christ and they lived it out. And so when they were faced with the persecution, they still trusted in their, their Savior. There's lots of passages in Scripture that tell us to do this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. First Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your cares on him, because he cares for you. And the best one I like is John 14:1 through 3. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you so that I will come back and get you so that you may be where I am. That's what trusting Jesus in all of our life means. These verses call us to let our life lean on everything in Jesus. We're depending on him for all our needs and all our answers. Trusting Jesus for every crevice and crease of our life. Take no shortcuts. Compromise nothing that you learn from scripture. It means to build your life on God's word. Building our life on God's word. You've heard me say it many times. We must accept God's truth as the way to live. God's truth and always trust his ways and plans for us. We've said it in here before. You can't see where you're going. You can't see what the answer is, but you trust the hand that is holding you. If you can't see his hand, trust his heart. It means that we're humbly seeking him, that we're casting, we're casting our life on him. That, that word is like when you get thrown upon a rock in the middle of a raging sea as a salvation. You're cast on this rock of Jesus so you don't have to despair. You're saved from drowning. Every aspect of your life needs Jesus' help. Every decision needs the truth of Scripture and the patience of prayer. Those two things, constantly. If you're shortening yourself in those, it's going to hurt. Examples Your finances don't meet. Well, it's not time to go borrow money, it's time to trust. Pray and trust. You don't depend on feelings for decisions. You trust God's word. That's what we're supposed to do. Which house to buy, which career to pursue, what place to live, who to marry. Should all be brought to Jesus for assistance and guidance. This is a promise I'll make you because I've lived it and I've experienced it. When you make Jesus your source of counsel, your source of guidance for decisions, and you make him the Lord of your life in every aspect, in every corner, I can promise you, you will find no better way to live. No better way, no matter what comes. No matter how painful it is sometimes. I'm sure Richard and Sabina were worried about it at times, and, but you will find no better way to live. Trust Jesus for all the aspects of your life. Die to your own ideas and your own preferences, and we have to do that daily those things don't die permanently yet. Remember what John, Jesus said in John 8, 35. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. So give up your life for the sake of Jesus. Trust Jesus in all of your life. The next point is to trust Jesus in all of our circumstances. Jesus has lamented over the lack of trust here, and so he's going to show this father his faith is kind of waning as well. Trust Jesus in all circumstances. Let me read 20 through 27 for you. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him, Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said, and many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can... Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, And he stood up. So Jesus requests the boy to be brought to him. He does. He wants to help this father and son. And when the demon sees Jesus, he immediately goes into this fit because he knows what's about to happen. He knows what's coming. I'm about to get the the ultimate spanking right here. I'm about to get in trouble. And the demon, is, the demon is trying to challenge Jesus. See how bad I am? I'm hurting this boy. I'm throwing him around. I'm in control. And Jesus says, no, you're not. But he's challenging Jesus. And he knew he was in the presence of the Son of God. He's not acting that way because he just you know, thinks Jesus is a good guy or Jesus is a nice man or a great teacher. He knows he's in the presence of the Son of God, which we established last week. That's why the transfiguration happens. So we know that it is the Son of God, that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And then Jesus says, well, how long has this been going on? And the Father says, since childhood, which implies that he's over 12 years old, more than likely, 13, 14, at least that old. His family has endured this behavior and this illness, if you want to call it that, this demon possession for a long time. Imagine every day wondering if he's going to have a fit and throw himself in in the river to drown or throw himself in the fire when no one's looking. Every time he has a convulsion, people are scared, fearful. Imagine that. They've been doing this for years. And the father begs for compassion for their situation from the only one really that could give him help, the only one that could really help his son. He begs for compassion, but the Father also reveals something in his statement. If you can. He brought him to Jesus thinking Jesus could heal him, but now he's doubting. Now he's got a little tinge of, I'm not sure. If you can speaks volumes for many people. How many times have you said that? I have said that. If, if you can, God, what are you, silly? Of course he can. They want compassion sometimes, but they want it, we want it, on our own terms. We want it with our own agenda. We want it with our own conditions on it. And sometimes when it doesn't happen that way, we doubt. We don't trust. Jesus challenges him. He picks up on those three little words, if you can, and Jesus comes at him compassionately, gently, but firmly. Everything is possible for the one who Believes, everything is possible for the one who believes, who trusts Jesus. Do you believe this? I hope you do. Belief in whom is the crucial point here. Belief is not some arbitrary thing. It's not some you know verbalized okay idea. Yeah, I believe in George Washington, but I never met the guy. It's it's much more critical about who you're believing in, who you're trusting. Belief in Jesus for His assistance. Trust Jesus without an agenda. Can you do that? Can you trust Jesus without an idea of how you want the outcome to be? So the father answers with the most honest prayer you'll ever read in the Bible, I think. I believe, but help my unbelief. It seems kind of contradictory, doesn't it? What's funny is the Greek word there for help is a word that I thought I wish we used it because it says, Jesus, rescue me from my doubt. That's what it really means. The word really means rescue me. Rescue me from the calamity I'm in. Rescue me from my doubt. John Calvin comments, he says, These two statements may appear to contradict one another, but there is none of us that does not experience both of them in our own hearts. He realized that his trust had waned. He realized that his trust was wavering. His doubt was growing. He he was faltering in his faith, and it almost cost him his son's health. It almost cost him the lack of the miracle. That's kind of an ouch moment, you know? And Jesus quickly cast out the demon with authority, leave him, and never come back. So this brings up a question you might be asking, do demons come back? Yes, they actually do. Demons could return. There's There's Parables in Matthew 12, Matthew 11, and Luke 11, I mean, and Jesus warns of this. That person cleans out the demon out of his house and he makes it all nice and tidy, but he doesn't put Jesus there. The demon can come back and he'll bring friends and he'll be uglier, worse. So Jesus, though, forbids this one from ever coming back to this boy. He saves him from that forever. The demon left, but not without one last ditch effort. See, Satan doesn't give up easy. One last time, he's going to try to trick you. One last time, he's going to try to make you doubt. No, you don't have to talk to the pastor today about salvation. You can wait one more week. You can wait one more day. Satan's always trying to drag it out a little bit longer. So this demon does the same thing, and he, he's dis- trying to destroy the boy. He's terrorizing the crowd. He's trying to harm him, and then he leaves him exhausted. He leaves him exhausted, and everybody goes, He's dead. You know why they said that? Because that's all they understand is death. Jesus, he understands life. And he grabs him by the hand and the boy stands up. No, he wasn't dead. He was exhausted. The boy gets up and Jesus rewards his father's weak, weak faith. He rewards his father's weak faith with a great, great miracle. And more reasons to trust Jesus in all of life's circumstances. To trust Jesus and have more faith. You know, Peter was walking on the water one time. Jesus, he saw Jesus and he said, If it's you, Jesus, he see that condition he put there. If it's you, Jesus, bid me to come out onto the water. Well, come on, Jesus says. So he steps out of the boat, he starts walking on the water, and then he started doubting. And he sank. And Jesus had to save him physically, because he was going to drown. That's what's going on with this man, unfortunately, is he's just, he had faith enough to bring him to, his son to Jesus, but he didn't have enough faith to stay with it. There's many passages, in, and I want you to hear in, in this sermon, as well as this particular point, the progression that faith makes. See, faith is not a noun. It's really a verb. It's really meant to be a verb. But, but the Bible says in many places, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. The only thing that counts, Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we quote that the first two verses very often, for it is by grace through faith that you are saved. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Then verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So works are involved after you're saved. You're called to exercise your faith, to trust him in all kinds of things. In any situation, faith is a muscle that must be exercised. Faith gets stronger by listening to Jesus Christ. It's not going to get stronger by just coming in here and sitting and, and, and doodling or whatever you're doing out there. It doesn't come by being associated with the church. It doesn't come by owning a Bible. It comes by listening to Christ. His words are meant to be obeyed. You remember what God said last week on the mountain? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That added phrase. Listen to him means obey him. When God says listen to somebody, he's not telling you just to enjoy a a concert or or something nicely said. He's he's telling you to obey. It means to obey. In all of scripture, hearing the words of God, listening to all of God's truth means to obey, follow, keep it, keep it. That's how our faith and our trust get stronger. That's how we grow it, by listening to God's word and acting on it. The faith that believes God will do everything We can't muster on our own. We can't think, I'm going to have enough faith. I'm going to have enough faith. No, we have to go to Jesus, meaning his words. We have to go and act out what he's told us. Real faith starts at salvation. That's where it starts, but it doesn't stop there. It keeps growing. It grows like a tree, which needs deep roots and branches to nurture it and to withstand the trials. Faith comes from obedience. And the more we obey, the more we nurture our faith. The more we obey Jesus Christ, the more we'll nurture our faith, even in the tough, hard situations. Because many things in this life will test our willingness to obey. And as I've said it before, nothing in life is not meant by, by, as a Christian, everything in life is meant to drive you to Christ, to drive your faith and make it stronger to make you come to him more dependent. The more we obey, the more our faith grasps the things that really matter. And it leads to more faith. You know, unbelievers use terms like luck, karma, coincidence. They use those terms and they throw them around because they want to avoid the faith issue. They want to avoid trusting something else or somebody else. But I would encourage you this morning, never let your faith... Be compromising your trust in Jesus weakened because of human rationale, human logic, human coincidence, or even medical technology. See, Jesus heals and helps no matter what the problem is. He may use a doctor, he may use a technology, or he may just outright heal. And I know there's a lot of testimony here that's seen that. Trust Jesus in all of life's circumstances. Because he upholds the universe by the power of his hand, Hebrews 1. He has it all. So trusting Jesus in all of life and with the trials, it requires some action. And prayer, I've been talking about the word, but prayer is one of those actions. And that's the third point. Trust Jesus by prayer, verses 28 and 29. Jesus finally answers the question we've probably all been asking. Why couldn't they cast it out? Here it is. After he had gone into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Did I read that right? Prayer? Well, let's talk about that. They messed it up because they didn't pray. And in Matthew's account, he says they messed it up because they had little faith. Those two don't disagree. Those two dovetail. If you don't have any faith, you will not pray. But you can also pray without faith. You can think you're praying. The only way to expel demons is by the power of God exercised by the faith it takes to pray for it. And these men had done it before. (laughs) Matter of fact, they probably walked into this whole system, oh yeah, we got this, we got this, no problem. We're going we're to cast this demon out with no problems whatsoever. And they just assumed they had this ability, kind of like the ability to juggle or the ability to whatever. But they didn't. A man possessed by a demon needs God's help to get cast out. God always wants to, us to seek his aid. No matter how easy or hard the task may be, God's asking us to always come to him, to express trust in him for help or to use our gifts and our talents. And Jesus teaches his disciples many times in the Gospels. He teaches them how to pray. He teaches them what to pray. He teaches them when to pray. He teaches them whom to pray to, where to pray, and why to pray. Prayer is very important to Jesus. How important? He goes off and does it regularly. By himself, he gets alone with God, his father. Real prayer exercises deep trust in Jesus, and his disciples had forgotten that. There's, there's a story in Acts chapter 19 of the seven sons of Shiva. These were Jewish exorcists, at least they thought they were. <laughs> they were kin to some of the priests of the Jewish faith, but they weren't Christians, but they thought Wow, we can go around and cast out demons. So they were trying this in a place called Ephesus, and they confronted this man. There were seven of them. They confronted this man, and they said, We cast you out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. (laughs) I hope you can see the the humor in that, because they're not trusting Jesus. They're only trusting in a name that they can regurgitate. But the man possessed by this, this, this demon, he overpowered them. He whooped them so much that they left the house naked. That's how bad they got beaten. Prayer expresses the trust in Jesus, and these seven men didn't have it. And his disciples had forgotten it in this story. I want you to remember what the demon said to those seven guys. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize, but who are you? They obviously didn't know that they needed to believe in Jesus, not just spit out his name. So this specific area applies to us who profess faith in Jesus, and we want to see God's kingdom come. This really applies to us. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to remember that if we want change, if we want righteousness and justice to prevail, we've got to pray. But we neglect, sometimes we even refuse to pray. To pray like we want these, really. Jesus tells us right here that the prayer must be a deliberate and devotional act to see change happen. Not just reciting a prayer, not just gathering and talking about prayer, actually praying. See, our prayers and our expressions of faith, they seem to revolve around our wallets, our interests, our health. They need to revolve around Jesus. And when we get serious about praying... And I'm talking to myself here. When we get serious about praying for the healing of souls, our land will benefit in some way, shape, or form. But if we want this church to thrive, it will only happen by prayer, prayer together. If we sit around and wait for it to just kind of arbitrarily happen, it won't. Just like the, the disciples could not cast out that demon. We can't expect anything to come of our faith in this church and in Jesus without prayer. Earnest, long, dedicated, and devout prayer. Prayer that cries out from deep in our souls, that makes our hearts mourn for changes that we need in this community and plead with God for the salvation of souls. That's what we have to do. We can't just hope it happens. We need to take action. We need to pray for the healing of marriages the restoration of families the reconciliation of re- relationships and for the obedience to god's word we need to pray for that we need to pray hard and if you and i say we trust jesus we better be acting like it and prayer is step 1 to act like it so in summary this miracle this miracle calls our hearts To trust Jesus more. It really does. To trust Jesus actively with our mind, soul, body, and strength. Meaning every aspect of our life we lean on him. So trusting Jesus starts at our profession of faith, like I said. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't rest there. It is active. Or it becomes atrophy, like I talked about at the beginning. And I've said it before and I'll say it forever. Faith that saves will push us to read our Bibles. Faith that saves will push us to pray, to pray consistently. Faith that saves us will push us to worship the one true living God together. Faith that saves will push us to share the gospel in some way, shape, or form. It'll push us to consult God in all aspects. And if it doesn't, your faith is weak. If it's not, if it's not pushing you and you're not bothered by these things, then your faith is either weak or you're lost but you can change all of that. Challenge your faith with obedience. That's what makes our faith stronger. That's what makes our trust in Jesus stronger. And I'm convicted, as your pastor, I'm convicted that we could be praying more. I know a lot of us pray at home privately, but I'm talking about together. We need to pray more together. Unite our hearts together in prayer. You know, most revivals and most spiritual awakenings that have happened all over church history and in the last 2,000 years started with a group that started to pray. Some places it was two or three men. Some places it might have been a little bigger. But it starts with that. You know, the disciples learned their lesson about prayer because Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost happened after 10 days of constant prayer. And Peter gave a 10-minute sermon. But 10 days of prayer, and the Holy Spirit came down. They learned their lesson. So, as a way to implement this doctrine, starting Tuesday until at least Easter at 4 o'clock, we're going to have a prayer meeting right here. Just come. We're going to pray directly. It won't be a time of talking about prayer. It will be praying. So if you can get loose and come, come on. Come if you can to pray for God's power and his will to be done. To see our city changed, our nation changed, and the world changed. God can do great things, but he calls us to pray because he's going to use us. He's not going to do it magically or on his own accord. He is going to use us. So I would ask you to commit, if you can, to come every Tuesday and pray with us. We'll meet right in here, and we'll start praying for God to show up. We're going to take some time now for some pastoral prayer. If you have something you want to bring, a burden to the Lord, just we're going to take some silent time of prayer. Pray about this sermon. Pray about what Jesus has taught us through this. We'll have a moment of silent prayer, and then I'll close this out. So let's pray.